You're listening to the CCF Saturday Night Service Podcast. To connect with us, you may chat us at m.me slash elevatemain. We hope you enjoy today's talk. Thank you, bro. Good evening. Can you look at the person beside you right now and say, good evening, respond well. Go. Respond well. Why are we starting with that? If you're seeing on your screens, we're going to the series entitled Worth It, Finishing Well. And as you saw in the scripture earlier, we have a very interesting character we will learn from tonight. And the main thing we will learn from Job is how to respond well. I do not know the circumstances of your life, but the good news is God does. And wherever you are right now, whether it's your first time to be here or you've, you come here every night, let's pray that once again, as our dear brother prayed, that the Holy Spirit would silence all of our hearts and minds and we will hear him speak to us. How do we respond well so that we might finish well? Is that okay? How do we respond well in order to finish well? And as we do this, I want to make a disclaimer. In order for me to respond well to this assignment, I was asked to speak on this series. And as I was looking at Job, I felt very intimidated because Job is a hard topic. He's gone through a lot of stuff. If you think about the worst case scenarios for people in their life, he is Mr. Worst Case Scenario. He went through a lot. And so as I was praying, I realized for me to respond well, I want to ask someone to join me to help me teach on this subject that might be able to relate to some of the young people here better. So I'm going to do a team preach tonight with someone, a very special guest, someone close to my heart, and that's how I respond well to this assignment. Are you guys ready? Let's unpack this. Disclaimer, as I said. Disclaimer. This message is not for the faint of heart. We're going to hear a lot of stuff that might not be normal because Job is not normal. And we will see how he responded. And as a result of five responses, can you all say five? As a result of five responses, we will see how he finished well. Such a beautiful picture as the Bible captures it. Five responses, we see how he finishes well, and then we're done. But like I said, this is not for the faint of heart. Here is what we will cover this evening. We're going to look at these five responses of Job throughout the book in 40 minutes. And what we're going to do is we're going to look from the start, how did Job first respond? That's a first response. And then we will look at his second response in chapter 2. And then we're going to summarize the whole conversation with Job and his friends, all of these 34, 35 chapters, 3 to 37, summarize it into one thought because there's a lot there. We'll see the response as well. And then we will close it out with Job's final responses, being still, and then being able to see and repent. Five responses of Job. We see how he finishes well as a result of this, and then we're done. Let's go. Are you guys ready? Not for the faint of heart. The first response is to worship God. Now, when we think about our circumstances, like I said, I do not know where you are at, but God does. What blesses me as I was unpacking this is how Job responded this way. Let's take a look. Can you guys read it with me? Let's get a, a, a brief background of who this man is. Read it with me, guys. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. For the young people, can I get a hands, a show of hands? How many of you are high school and college age? Raise your hand. High school, college age youth. I want you to say, woohoo, go. 
that's right. How many of you are single? Raise your hand. Single, singles, above college. All right, above college age. All right, awesome. How many are married with kids? Married with kids. Merong woohoo pa rin, di ba? Tama yun, March, di ba? May woohoo pa rin tayo, guys. So I want you to imagine the story. We're setting it up so you understand, Job. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time, but maybe for many, it's a refresher. So here we are. Man, uh, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Let's carry on. And that man was? Keep going. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man, Job, was the greatest of all the men of the East. Wow, so he had a perfect life, if you think about it. Lots of kids, lots of money, very well respected, the greatest man in all of the East. A lot of stuff. Look at his stuff. He had sheep. I want you to remember these animals. Sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys, and lots of servants. Very successful. So here is this guy. And what did we see about him? He was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. I want you to remember that in this narrative. Because many people might think, you know what? Do bad things only happen to bad people? And this is part of the theme that we will see and how he responds. Job was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Right? And as you saw in the verses earlier, Satan and God had a conversation, and he said, have you considered my servant Job, who is, as he said, blameless, upright, fearing God. So here is this man. What's his name? Was he a good guy? Lots of stuff? Yes. Let's move on. As we're looking at this, I wanted you to pay attention to these animals. I want you to read it with me, okay? Let's go into the drama. There's this guy, seemingly perfect life, following God, hashtag blessings, hashtag goals, 10 kids. I have six kids. And if you ask my wife, she said, honey, if we could have more, I would want more. And I said, good for you. <laughs> six is all we can handle. I'm good with six. So 10 kids. Really blessed. What happens? Let's unpack this. Here's the drama. I want you to read it with a little bit more drama. Now, on the day when his sons, read it with me, his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine. Boss, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword and i alone have escaped to tell you so no more ox no more donkeys servants and then while he was still speaking let's go guys another also came and said the fire of god fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking another also came and said come on read it with me guys the chaldeans formed and made a raid on the and took them and slew the wipe out all his stuff gone all his servants gone but wait there's more so this is what's happening to job as you're reading this it's so easy for all of us to look at it as some fairy tale that's far away but i want you to bring it home to your life to imagine this was happening right now and you met this person this is what's happening. He wasn't doing anything wrong that the Bible tells us. In fact, he was following God, blameless, upright, all this stuff, and suddenly all the stuff is gone. And then, let's keep going. While he was still speaking, so habang nagsasalita pa in Filipino, nagsasalita pa lang isa, meron na bad news. Tapos may bad news na naman. Ito pa, hindi pa tapos. But wait, there's 
more. What else did they say? Let's read it together. While he was still speaking, that last servant, another also came and said, read it with me, guys. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest. I want you to imagine if I was Job hearing this, my heart would be beating so fast. I would be thinking, Lord, kunin mo na lahat, basta wag yung mga not my kids, God. I love them. If you read chapter one, you see how much he loved them. He would pray for them. He would offer sacrifices so that God would say, hey, if they did anything wrong, I'll make it right, God. He loved them so much. They would celebrate so much, so often. So he's hearing this. As he's hearing this, your sons and your daughters, I'm thinking, I'm Job. No, no, no. We're eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And then behold, read it with me. A great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the corners of the house. And what happened? It fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you, make this real, guys. You want to understand Job's response? Make this real. If you met somebody, or if this was you, buhay moto, how would you be feeling? You lost everything. Hey, God, I've been following you. Everything. I've been following you. you, you all my stuff. So this is what I would be thinking. I don't know what Job's thinking. It fell and I don't escape to tell you. And then verse 20, and this is where we see the first response of Job. What is the first response? He worshiped God. Let's take a look at this. I wanted you to make it real so that you can see how difficult the response was. This message is not for the faint of heart. Then Job arose. And what did he do? He tore his robe and he shaved his head. Now I want you to understand what this means. In that context, when you tear your robe and you shave your head, it is because you're so, so broken. You're so sad. Lord, hindi tama to eh. I, I, I'm so sad right now. And so it's so powerful to see that even in the Bible, it reminds us it's okay to grieve. If we're going through something difficult, you lose somebody, you're following God, and suddenly some tragedy happens to you, it's okay to grieve. People might think, Dapat Christian ka, don't ignore that. Don't feel that. You know, Christians are always happy, always joyful. No. The truth is, it's okay to grieve. But, let me say but. What did Job do? He fell to the ground and worshipped. And this is the memory verse, which we also read earlier. It's so unreal that someone who lost everything, I'm putting myself in his shoes. I'd like to think by God's grace, I'm doing my best to follow God, to do things right, to do what God tells me. If God took everything away from me, while I was speaking right here, someone calls me and says, um, all of your stuff is gone. What? Your house, your stuff, everything is gone. And then the, after that, while they're telling me all this bad news, someone will say, you're six kids. I don't know what I would do, to be honest. But here's Job, he's honest with God. <sighs> Tears his robe, shaves his head. And as he's grieving, what does he do? He falls to the ground and he worships. Job was honest about his grief and the pain that he felt, but he did not let the grief and pain destroy or defeat him. He worshiped God. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What a powerful response. And then he carries on, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we see that this was a good response because the Bible tells us, can you read it with me? Verse 22, through all this, Job messed up and he did it wrong. No, that's not what the Bible says, right? It says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In other words, 
Good response, Job. Well done. It's not easy. And let's be real. That's not easy. You lose all of that, and then you will say, God, I know so many people. And even as we're counseling them in this season right now, their big question is, why, God? Why did you allow this in my life? Even if I followed you, I prayed for this one thing, and yet you did not answer it. Why? And because of that, they're, they're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you right now. Break muna ako. Sabbatical from the group. Break. I, I just don't want anything to do with God. And then I look at Job, and I'm thinking, do you think we, I mean, not to belittle our problems, because I said I don't know what they are, but really, when we look at what Job went through, he lost everything. And yet, he's honest with God, he grieves, and he says, God, I still bless your name. I still bless your name. And so here's the lesson for us. When he was down, he looked up. He elevated his pain, and he brought it to God. Lord, itong nararamdaman ko ngayon, ibibigay ko sa'yo. I'm going to worship you still. I don't know why. I'm looking for answers, but the first thing I will do is I will give it to you. I will worship you. I will bless you. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I returned. Lord, you took, you, but you gave. I bless your name. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, it's not a mark of spirituality to pretend to feel no pain. The proper response to loss for a Christian is not the absence of sorrow, but it's the absence of hopeless sorrow. Lord, I feel horrible right now, but I still look to you. I will bless you. I will worship you. He did not give up hope like I was saying. Some of the people I know, and that response led these people I know into down, dangerous downward spirals of all sorts of sin and just ugly choices in their life. And it is because of that, the response was not to say, I'm grieving, but there is hope. It is I'm grieving and I, I don't know where to go. I don't even want to have anything to do with God. To make this more real for my situation, I was praying. I said, Lord, how do I make this real for everybody today? My wife, Joy, many of you may have known her story. Uh, when she was 15, there were seven men who went into their home and raped my wife, Joy. And as a result of all that, their family grieved deeply. My wife, when I remember the story, that night her mom just lay in the bed with her and they said nothing and just cried the whole night. Because what can you do? 15-year-old daughter, loved God, followed God, never kissed a boy, was pure. And that happened to her. Tragic circumstance. What blesses me, and this is not to put my wife and her response on a pedestal. It is to point all of us to the fact that there is a godly response in the midst of tragedy so that God gets the glory. Are you with me? So what touched me when I first heard this, and I did not know the story. I had been married to my wife a number of years. She shared it in one of these gatherings where they invited her to share, and I started crying like a baby when I heard it. That Sunday, right after the incident, they as a family chose to worship God. They went on Sunday, and when I was asking my wife about this, she said, we cannot let them win. We cannot let the devil and his deeds win. So we must let God win. We must worship him still. And so they went on Sunday, and as she was worshiping God, the song was, we will march on with hearts courageous unto you. So powerful. If I remember the song, it goes something like this. We're marching on with hearts courageous. 
And I can't remember the rest of the verse. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm very bad with the words. But that was so powerful when I heard it. And I said, you know what? I will share this to you guys so that you might see that even close to home, it is real. I've seen this. It is not an easy response, but it is possible. We grieve, but we do not stop there. There is hope. And so we worship God and we bless Him, even in the midst of our suffering and trial. My wife did not know what would happen. They did not know what happened to all the perpetrators, and yet they did that. Job, right now, he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't, there's no relief right now. He did not know the conversation the devil and Satan had, uh, the devil and God had. He's completely oblivious. So this is happening, and he's like, okay, God, I worship you. I bless your name. Let's move on. Are you seeing how this is not for the faint of heart? It's not easy to worship God when difficult things happen. One more thing, my wife, God bless her. Um, never mind, next time, next time, next time, next time. Too many sharing. Let's go back to the verse. Number two, accept adversity. So as we are seeing from the first response of Job, that's what he did. Then God and Satan had another conversation. I'll take you through it very quickly. Let's read it together. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He's negotiating with God. He will curse you to your face. You watch. You watch. He, he will not stay the same way. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your power. Spare his life. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And what did he do? He smote Job with sore boils. You know what sore boils are? If you remember the plagues that God allowed in Exodus, one of them was boils. It's the same boil. Now, if you don't know what a boil is, here's the medical definition. It's an inflamed ulcer in your skin. And it said it covered him from the sole of his foot. That means you could not walk. Your feet are full of sores open inflamed ulcers and all the way to the foot of his crown he can't lie down it's so uncomfortable and it was painful to show you how painful it was it says he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes you know what the ashes were it's outside the city where all the lepers would be all those that are in deep deep pain that nobody wants to be near that's where he went because he was in such physical pain i want to bring that home to your life imagine that was you you lost everything. You lost your kids. And then you're now sick. And you can't do anything. And you're in such great pain. And it's not going away. He starts scraping it so he can break it open so there might be some possible relief. That's how painful and desperate he was. That is not an easy place to be. So as he's doing this, here's Job's response. And I love how the Bible inserts comic relief. Do you want to see some comic relief? There's some comic relief in the Bible because it's so heavy, right? I'm bigot. It's comic relief for the Pinoys. You know, we'll love this. Of all the people that God left in Job's life, iniwan niya yung asawa niya. Let's see what the wife says. Then his wife said to him, the wife said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Parang, Really? Of all the responses that I could be getting at this time from all the stuff that's happening, that's your advice. So let this be a lesson for all of us, not just the wives here. But if you are a wife, I love how the Bible reinforces this. And this is so powerful. If you are a wife right now, you have the ability to make or break your husband. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if your husband might be going through something, the practical application for you is, how are you 
responding to that circumstance in your family's life, in your husband's life. The Bible says, better to live in a desert with a quarrelsome than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife, right? So that's just a fresh reminder for the wives. Not saying that my wife's like this, honey, if you're watching this life, I love you. This is not bato-bato for you. But it's a great reminder, not just for the wise, but for all of us. In moments where we are with people who are going through difficult things, are we that one person that of all the advice we will give, it is the worst advice. And we can destroy that person, just like she was saying, curse God and die. Horrible advice. In fact, we know it's horrible because let's see what happens. Job responds. This is the second response. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And what does the Bible say in the way that Job responded in all this? What does the Bible say? Job did not sin. So Job, well done. Good response, number two. And what did he basically say? And this is a hard truth for many of us. He's basically saying, in our life, we will go through good things and bad things. Even as Christians, even as you're following God, uh, a line we know over and over is God does not, uh, our life will not be storm-free, even as Christians, but it can be storm-proof, right? So we will experience good things and bad things. The question is, do we accept both? And that's what Job is saying. Shall we accept good but not the adversity? Will we only take the good stuff and say, praise God? Pero pag bad stuff, Of course, we don't want it instinctively, but his response is beautiful. And I like how Paul echoes this. Even in the New Testament, he says, rejoice. What does it say? Sometimes? When things are good? What does it say? Always. And he says, pray without ceasing in everything. Does it say in some things when it's good for you, then you give thanks? Is that what the Bible is saying? It says in everything, give thanks. Again, these are hard truths. And the, the, the hard, it's very hard for me to say, say this to you guys. But the good thing is that I'm not, it's not my words. It's God's words. And I'm just a message to all of you. And I pray that however this lands, your hearts will be ready to hear it. Because God wants to speak to you. And this microphone of mine that's, you know, moving. <laughs> special mic, special mic. In everything, give thanks, the Bible tells us. So accept good and accept adversity. I like how Swindle also speaks to this. He says, God's great goal for us is not that we be rich and successful and smiling and happy at all times. Does God want to bless us? Sure. Does He want to bless us with wealth? Sure. Does He want to bless us with even worldly success, doing well in our school, our jobs? Sure. Does He want us to be smiling and happy? Of course. But look what he says. It's not the ultimate goal, and it's not the ultimate goal that we're like that all the time. Instead, his goal is that we glorify him. Can everybody say glorify him? That is God's goal, that we glorify God no matter what our circumstances are. Because the truth is, some people will not glorify God when things are good. And that's sometimes when they will fall. Does that make sense? So we need to remember, good times, bad times, we will glorify the Lord. Shall we accept just the good things, or do we accept both? The answer is, Lord we will take whatever you give me. We will be ready. As a story of someone, I was thinking, who's a great story of somebody that did this, that accepted even the bad things? And I, when I was studying and praying, you know what? I remembered the ultimate role model for all of us, the goat, the greatest of all time. This guy has done it all. He had more suffering than Job did. And yet, he endured it. His name is Jesus. And this is what he said. He was with his closest buddies on this earth. 
And three times he said, hey, this is it. I'm going to go through some stuff. And they fell asleep on him. And as they were falling asleep on him, one of them came and said, it's time to take you. And he betrayed him with a kiss. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes. So he's going to God. He's saying, God, Dad, if it's your will, if it's possible, would you let this cup, the cup symbolized God's divine wrath on sin as depicted in the Old Testament, which was now going to be all on Jesus. Like, would you let this cup pass? And he even says, if you, if you will it that I not drink from this, let it be. But then what does he say? I will take this adversity if you want this. Not my will, but as you will. It's a powerful example for all of us. And I highlight this now because as we look at God's word and as we look at Job, I don't want us to get sidetracked and look to Job as an amazing hero of finishing well and a great example of how to respond well. Although we're seeing that, the ultimate hero to this whole thing and to every single Sunday message, every single Bible study is one name and his name is Jesus. He is the hero. He is the role model. So as we look at his response here, I want this now to be the dominant face as we carry on, even as we unpack Job's response moving forward. But what are we learning? Number two, we need to learn to accept adversity just like Jesus did. I love the picture even. Here is Job who is God's servant and he's taken the suffering very much like Jesus, the portrayed suffering servant. So once again, there's this parallel to the picture of Jesus because God would not put the picture of Job so that we worship Job and we idolize him and role model him, but instead we want to look at Jesus. He is the centerpiece of this whole thing, the whole Bible, our whole life even. So Jesus came to God with open hands. Our response to whatever God allows in our life so that we might respond well and finish well is to come to God and say, Lord, I bring it to you, but I bring it to you with open hands. I will accept whichever scenario you give me because I trust you and I know you. Are you guys following me so far? Let's move on. Number three, this is a fairly quick point, but an interesting one. It's not so much what Job did, but what he said that I found interesting. And this is my own personal reflection as I was looking at it. It's interesting how Job did not hear the conversation between Satan and God, right? He didn't hear them. It was happening separate and then it happened to Job. But as that was all happening, Job is now talking to his friends. And as he's speaking to his friends, he says this in one of the many things he says to them. There's a lot of back and forth. But he said, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? Ergo, like him and whom God has, what's the word? Hedged in. Everybody say hedge. Some of you, some of us might be feeling right now that God has hedged us in. Lord, not ganto. Why is this happening to me? It's like, wala na akong exit. I've been boxed in. I'm prevented from doing what I want. It might be a relationship. It might be your parents as an authority figure. It might be your work. And the way we're viewing that hedge is it's so oppressive. It's restricting me. And I don't like this, God. Why? Why are you allowing this? But when we look at God's conversation with Satan, it's interesting. When he talks to Satan, look at this. And Job does not know this. In chapter 1, in Satan's conversation with God, he says, Have you not made, what's the word? A hedge about Job. In other words, he's saying, Boss, in other words, we need 
to look at our life's circumstances and then reframe it. Could it be that what we feel is a restrictive, preventive hedge is actually God's way of protecting us and saying, I am actually protecting you with that hedge. Your parents, your authority, your work, the circumstance that might not seem good is actually a hedge. So here is the question for all of us as we breeze through this principle really quick. Look at your circumstances right now and could it be that you're looking at something that is like a prison for you, but really it is God's protection for you? We need to reframe our hedge. I like what Billy Graham says about this. He says, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Isn't that so beautiful? So if you will allow that and that is what you see as a hedge, he will give you grace to say, I can get through this because God has allowed it. Assuming, and we need to make this very clear, assuming that just like Job, you have been following God and then tragedy, adversity, challenge happens. If you are not following God right now or you do not have a relationship with Him right now, all bets are off. Many of these things will not apply because when you are not in God's protection, you are not following His will, you do not have a relationship with Him, then any, anything can happen. So adversity, trials, challenges can be natural consequences of our sinful choices. Does that make sense? But if you are following God, this then applies. You have a hedge of protection. So if He allows it, what does Billy Graham say? God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. And that's what we heard even from the Psalms earlier that our brother was exhorting us with during worship. Are you with me? At this point, I'm going to call in my team preach partner, someone very close to my heart, and someone who I've been blessed recently to see how he understands God's word. And he's been able to share it even to me and our family and other gatherings. And I said, son, why don't you come and preach with me? It would be a great privilege because I think there's something you can say. Let's welcome my son, Elijah. that silence make you a little uncomfortable? It sure made me. And I think this is why this topic speaks so much to me and there's so much I can improve in here. Because a lot of times stillness scares us. It makes us uncomfortable. But this is what God, God's encounter with Job and with Job's friends kind of led them to do. The immediate response was to be still. This is after all of the conversations back and forth between Job and his friends. They're talking about Job's suffering. And then God comes. Finally, God answers Job. He comes in the whirlwind. And he asks Job all these questions. And let's see how they respond. So first, there's the dialogue between Job and his friends, right? You have Eliphaz, his first friends. His, and he says, remember now. Whoever perished, being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? Eliphaz, Job's friend, doesn't seem to believe that bad things can happen to good people. And that might be a lot of us, right? We think, oh, I'm a good person. Could bad things ever happen to me? And maybe when we're counseling our friends, for us young people also, and we're talking to them, maybe our tendency is to judge them and say, oh, if this bad thing is happening to you, then maybe you're doing something bad as well. And this was Eliphaz's faulty view. When Job responded to his friend, he said, look, bro, I've heard many such things. You guys are sorry comforters. Basically what he was saying was, 
if you guys had just been silent, it would have been your wisdom. And he actually says that in the verse. Sorry comforters are you all. In the ESV it says miserable comforters. Like, is that the kind of comforter you want to be to your friend? That sure isn't how I want to be seen. But that can happen when we jump to conclusions and we're not silent. This is how God responds to these friends. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So sometimes when we jump to conclusions and we give advice like this and we're not just silent, right? Because Job's friends at first for about seven days, they were really silent. They were just sitting there with him and grieving with him. And that was good. But as soon as they opened their mouth and started to presume things about Job and about God, things went really nasty. And as for us as counselors, that should be a humbling reminder. I want to give the answers, me. You know, when I see my friends, they're hurting. And I feel like, oh, there's something that you're doing wrong here. I need to give you advice. Because I love to give answers. I love to counsel. But the reality is, I can't always give the answers. I don't understand the character of God fully. I don't understand the Bible fully. So sometimes we just need to be there to listen to our friends. I don't need to give advice right away. That's one application from the silence that God gives to Job's friends. I really like this verse, too, because I asked one of my friends um, in college. He's a really wise guy. He's really socially mature and socially aware. And I asked him, bro, why are you so socially aware all the time? How come you always seem to be put together? And he said, you know my secret? My secret is I just stay quiet. And this verse speaks to that. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. And so that's a tip, right? If you want to seem wise... Well, it is wisdom to sometimes bridle your tongue and to keep silent. There is a time to give advice, of course, but there's also a time to just be silent. Our culture is against this, right? Our culture always wants our attention. It has so many things available, Netflix, YouTube, even the music we listen to, because it desperately wants our minds to be on any words, anything but the Lord himself. And that is the scary thing, right? When we are not giving ourselves the time, the silence to confront our insecurities, our fears, our relationship with the Lord, then the culture can drown that out with the noise that it produces. And there is so much noise in our world today. So much noise looking for our ears, looking for our eyeballs. That brings me to the next point. Who was the other person who had to be silenced in this verse? It was Job. And the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder, fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job, God, Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Can you guys do this? Lay my hand on my mouth. That's a powerful phrase. It means I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to stop talking. Once I've spoken and I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. And this echoes another verse in the Psalm, Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. This is a very famous verse. 
But what I like about this translation specifically is do you notice something at the very end of it right there? There's an exclamation point. And sometimes when we read this verse, we're like, you know, God is saying to us, be still, know, I, know that I'm God in a gentle voice. But in this passage, God was not saying it to Job this way. He came in a whirlwind. We just watched a movie about um, tornadoes last night. And these things are crazy. They're really loud, really destructive. And God said, be still. That was literally his words to, to Job. And sometimes God needs to shout through our noise so that he can bring us to the stillness we need in order to encounter him greater. I find it so interesting how if you look back into verse 20, uh, chapter 21 and chapter 29 of Job, Job talks about himself being great to such a point that when princes come and see Job, because he was one of the greatest men of the East, right? He was something of a celebrity. When princes would come to see him, they would be the ones who would lay their hands on their mouths and be silent. And he was also saying, you know, look at my suffering. My suffering is so great. You guys, you friends of mine, you guys should be silent. You should be the ones laying your hands on your mouths. But here, God is telling him, you lay your hand on your mouth and be silent. And this is what Job did. And as a result, he was able to encounter God much deeper. He laid his hand on his mouth. It not only allowed him to listen to God more. Sometimes we say, oh, we need to be silent so we can listen to God. But it allowed him to reframe his perspective. It wasn't all about him and his suffering. It was about what God had to say to him and what the character of God was. That's why it says in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Not just be still, like other religions say, be still, meditate on your own breathing, on yourself, on yourself, on yourself, and empty your mind. No, it's be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. And that is what stillness as followers of Jesus should bring us. It should bring us deeper and deeper into the knowledge of God because we can all use more knowledge of God. Even Job, he was very, very wise, but he realized, you know, even I, there's so many things that I don't know about God. And so here, what did he do? <laughs> he laid his hand on his mouth. So when we're still, we must know. We must know we can't just empty ourselves. Of course, there are times when we can cry out to God. We can ask God, Lord, I'm so sad right now. You can cry out to God just, just like how Job did at the start. But there are moments where God just calls us to be still. And that is one of the ways that we can finish well here. We must never miss out on the opportunity for silence. Silence leading on the ability to listen to humility, knowing God better. One of the things that I do... In college, I've been able to do this much more in college where I'm not around my family because my family is very loud, so I don't get a lot of stillness there. I have, what, six siblings, uh, five siblings, sorry, I can't even keep track of my siblings. There's so many. Five siblings, you, as you expect, it's kind of loud in the house, so I have to get out of my way. I have to go outside to get stillness and silence. But in college, I did this more. I would just read my Bible. I'd go out of you know, the dorms where I was rooming with all, all the boys, and I just walk in nature and pray and meditate on God's Word. And it was so healing because college can be so stressful. And there's so many things clamoring for my attention, so many assignments, so many tests, so many classes. And these moments of silence and reflection were just a great opportunity to recharge. How many times 
Have you given yourself that opportunity, that opportunity to recharge, to grow? And I think the greatest example of this is, as my dad said, the greatest example of our suffering servant was Jesus Christ himself. And what did Jesus do? Jesus often went away by himself to the mountains to pray, to fill himself with the presence of God, with the knowledge of God. The last thing that silence does for us is it gives us the ability to repent. You see, when Job was finally silent here, God answered him the first time. All this whirlwind, he is asking Job, Job, were you there when I created the world? Were you there? Were you there with the earth? Can you give me an answer to all these questions? Or do you just not know? Then Job was able to say, okay, I'll be silent and I'll just listen. And that led to repentance. So I'll call up my dad again to discuss that next point. Thank you, son. Thank you, son. Can everybody do that? One, two, three. If you want, you can do it to the person beside you. Lay my hand on my mouth. It's powerful, huh? Powerful stuff that we're seeing from Job. So what is the fourth point? Be still. Be still. Let's close. This is what I, when I study the word, this is the turning point in Job's life. And this is the defining moment in all of the book. Why? I want you to see what happens. So we've gone from chapter one. We're all the way at the end now. We've gone to four points. Here's the last one. I love how God speaks to Job here. So after what Elijah read, he puts his hand on his mouth. God responds again, if you follow the scripture in 41, and he starts talking about the Leviathan and the behemoth. After all of that, Job responds again, as we'll see right here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, can you read it with me, everybody? Everyone, SNS, let's go. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted who is this that hides counsel without knowledge therefore I have declared that which I do not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know here now and I will speak I will ask you and you instruct me I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes have you heard this in many different contexts hey hey I see you do you know what that means? I finally see who you are. Not just I know about you, I've heard about you. It's hey bro, what's your name? James, can you remove your mask from me right now? Don't be shy. James, I see you. I see you bro. That's the same picture here. Job knew about God. He was blameless, upright, follow him, right? And you saw this. Now, I want you to catch this powerful, powerful shift. The word the Lord, as it is stated here, is something we need to pay attention to. Why? When it says, then Job answered the Lord, right? And then he says, I see you. Where's that coming from? What does the change that happened to Job? Why he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What happened is, when God finally responded after Job and his friends just chatter away from chapter 3 to 37. Chatter, 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 chatter. And we showed some highlights. Elijah showed some, some highlights. And God says, shh. And Job says, I right, lay my hand on my mouth. When God finally responds in chapter 38 verse 1. Then the Lord answered out of the whirlwind that Elijah talked about. God's name changes. I want you to catch this. From chapter 3 to 37, the whole dialogue of Job and his ranting 
trying to understand why the suffering was happening and all of his friends trying to give perspective also everybody giving their own wild responses and many of them erroneous some good but many of them erroneous as God said right he silenced even the friends what's interesting is in those chapters the name God is the name El Shaddai in Hebrew which is God the Almighty which is the name of God but it's a distant name it's detached yes you are powerful almighty but when God comes in catch this in verse 38 and he says the Lord answered Job right the Bible says and here in verse 4 chapter 42 verse 1 it says then Job answered the Lord that name is now his real name Yahweh the covenant name of God the personal name that he wants his people to know him by so that shift is what's so powerful in the life of Job after all the stuff that happened he finally says I see you God you are a personal God you are real to me and as a result of getting to know him finally not just studying him many of you maybe in school you've studied you've heard God just like him I've heard him but now that you're seeing this I pray that you will say okay God mass off everything I see you this is who you are your personal God you know me you wove me in my mother's womb you've known me in intimately even before I was born and all these things that God's Word says about you can you look at the person beside you right now and say you are special God has made each one of us special and so when we embrace that and we realize God okay you are a personal God I am special to you I'm unique then Job says now that my eye sees you you are a personal God not this distant El Shaddai or not just that because he is almighty but he sees him personally what does Job do he says okay God now that I know you personally I retract and I repent as Elijah said I repent Shh. I'm, I'm sorry all the stuff I said this is the fifth response we see God and we repent we see God and we repent and the reason I say this is the defining moment for Job do you know what Job's name means in Hebrew Job's name means repentant one so it's such a powerful story for all of us to remember this man and his story was placed in the Bible not so much for him although we're seeing his responses and we will see how he finishes well but so that we might remember the name Jesus and how if we're able to see who God is what he's done how he's made it personal how much he loves us personally we will see ourselves and say I repent I, I, I'm sorry God I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm saying I thought I was a good person I thought all these things but I'm not so thank you for bringing that to me and now I repent and I want to now see you and have this relationship with you are you guys following the text so far so let me close I love what Tim Keller says and as a wonderful tribute to this great man of God who recently passed away I love what he said and I want you all to frame this remember as Job is saying all of this he does not know the conversation God has with Satan he has no relief in sight he has no answer to the question Lord bakit mo ginawa to sa akin sinusundan kita tinanggal mo lahat ng possession all my possessions are gone all of my kids are gone and my health is still this is this is my okay I'll be quiet but right you notice no answer from God he did not tell him this is why you're going through this he instead showed him who he was I love what Tim Keller says he says Job never saw why he suffered but he saw God 
and that was enough. I see you. Defining moment in the life of Job. This is what Edmund Chan also has to say about it as I wind down and call a dear brother who is for many, me in many ways, a modern day Job. We'll hear a story and we'll wind down. This is what Edmund Chan says. The central theme of the book of Job is not suffering. Rather, the book of Job is about our relationship with God in the midst of human suffering. I want you all to read that with me again right now. The central theme of the book of Job is not suffering. Rather, the book of Job is about our relationship with God in the midst of human suffering. How is your relationship with God, friends? How is it right now? Ask yourself, Lord, kumusta ba tayo? That's the narrative that's what you need to ask yourself. Let's welcome our dear brother, JL, who will come and share a little bit about what God has done. A modern-day Job, a dear friend. Alone. I spent the first days of my life not in the loving embrace of my mother, but alone inside a glass box. I was an incubator baby, prematurely born at eight months. They say babies born at seven months had more chances of survival. So the mere fact that I'm alive and well was a miracle. However, my mother couldn't hold me because she suffered a stroke after giving birth to me. We were a family of four, my mother, my father, and my only sibling, my big brother, was almost a decade older. Kuya was considered the black sheep, the one who was always in trouble because of his many vices. Whereas I, on the other hand, was the good son, the, the perennial honor student who obeyed his parents and followed the rules. My relationship with my brother had, um, I guess, been severely compromised from the very beginning. And there was this underlying resentment between my kuya and I that had been building up through the years. I could neither turn to my brother nor my mother, who after the stroke uh, recovered and was very busy at work, hence I naturally gravitated towards my father. Unfortunately, my father wasn't always there. Papa was a captain of a fishing boat and he was gone months on end, mostly out at sea. Perhaps to compensate for his absence, my papa, uh, built me a huge sandbox, a play box, filled with the finest sand from the far-flung exotic islands that he sailed to. That sandbox was where my creativity was unleashed. Uh, in there, I built my imaginary worlds with my toys and even com completed it with stories I conjured up in my head. I relished that sandbox However, I found myself alone in that sandbox with an absentee father, a busy mother, a kuya who wouldn't even want to play with me. I felt abandoned in that sandbox. So I stood in my loneliness, but I decided to make the most out of it. I immersed myself in my studies and I excelled. I began doing very well in my career in the field of communications that soon enough, I started accumulating a lot of things, winning accolades, to the point that I became very independent, self-sufficient, worldly, and rather proud that I had achieved beyond what my parents had. 
I was convinced that my own hard and smart work was paying off. I was living my dream. And I even believed in my heart that I deserved it because I was the good son who followed the rules, including the rules of my religion. But truth be told, none of it, none of it translated to a relationship with God. It was all about me, me, me. My very first personal encounter with Jesus Christ came through a prayer community in 1994. I did not get a chance to really get to know my earthly father because he was always away. Uh, but uh, thank God for the encouragement of the community to read the Bible. I began to know my heavenly father. Suffice to say that the seed of faith had been planted in my heart. When Papa retired, I received an opportunity to be the head of, a of the creative head of a multinational advertising agency in another country. For three and a half years, I found myself alone again, this time in a non-Christian country, far away from my family, far away from my friends, far away from my community of believers, and eventually my heart turned far away from God. It was during this time that Papa was diagnosed with lung cancer. But the Lord was faithful even if I was not. The Lord provided me, through me and my brother, many blessings, and we were able to answer for all the medications and the needs that Papa needed at that time. And Papa even actually suffered a stroke, and he swiftly, quickly, and fully recovered. And to his doctor's amazement, his lung cancer, which had plagued him for years, seemed like it was not progressing at all. Six months after I returned to Manila, death struck my family. However, it was not Papa, but my mother who suddenly died of aneurysm. I remember rushing out that morning because I was so eager to follow the rules of color coding that I didn't even say goodbye to my mother. I didn't even get a chance to kiss Mama. I never got to again. When I told Papa that my mother had passed away, my father wailed. You know, that deep wail and shout, but not a single sound came out of his mouth. Papa lost his will to live. And me, I didn't want to think about all of these things, so I immersed myself in work that I did not get to spend quality time with my father, Papa's health deteriorated so rapidly that 38 days after Mama died, Papa also died. My kuya, who was based in New York, who just arrived there coming from Manila for, my, for Mama's funeral, had literally just landed in the airport when I phoned him about Papa. Kuya immediately flew back to Manila this time to bury our father. It was the 40th day of Mama's death where we had the first day of the wake of our father. Perhaps it was because our parents were no longer there that somehow all the pent-up resentment between my brother and I resurfaced. I, I really cannot remember how it all started, but we had a major hysterical, 
historical fight. We lashed out against one another. It was terrible. Nagsumbatan kami, nagbilangan ng mga ginawa at hindi ginawa para kay mama at papa na nabubuhay pa sila. At nagtapos kami na naghatian na ng mga gamit sa bahay. Sabi niya akin to, sabi ko hindi akin yan. Sabi niya akin yan, sabi ko hindi akin to. We weren't in speaking terms when he flew back to the United States. Three and a half months later in New York, my brother suddenly died. My relatives had to call my girlfriend then, who's my wife now, because they didn't not know how to tell me the bad news. Mikal my, was the one who told me that Kuya had a stroke. Apparently, my brother had been taking maintenance medicines for quite some time. And because of all the chaos, he did not tell any of us. I just couldn't believe what was happening. I had barely processed the death of my mother. Then my father suddenly died. I had barely even begun to think about the ramifications of my parents, both of them dying one after the other. And now my only brother, my sibling, who I was not at peace with, with whom I said so many terrible things, was now dead. My entire family was wiped out in a matter of five months. I couldn't understand why or how God could allow this to happen. Was, was this a cruel joke? Was this a curse? Was God testing me? I thought in myself that if there was a reason, one reason to compel someone to be angry at God, to spin out of control, to walk out on Him, it would be this, losing one's entire family in a snap. Had I, had I not known Jesus, had I not met Him before, I would not have known what to do or where to go. I remember the story of someone whose entire family was also wiped out in the Bible. Someone who, like me, was left alone. I paraphrase that someone, Job. Naked, I came, premature at eight months, from my mother's womb, and naked, I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Before I was alone in that incubating box, alone in that sandbox, and alone again because my entire family died. Oh, how the Lord had taken. But brothers and sisters, I stand here before you to tell you how the Lord has given the Lord gave a new chapter in my life when Mikal and I got married. God used her and continues to use her to bring me closer to Him. The Lord gave a family of my own. Mikal and I were immediately blessed with two children, Nikos and Anouk. And I did not grow up with a very good relationship with my brother, but now seeing my kids, how close they are and how much they love and care and cherish one another is nothing less than a prayer answered from above. The Lord gave 
another earthly father to me in the person of Michal's dad. Knowing that I had no more parents to take me to the ceremony, my father-in-law, on the day I was going to marry his only daughter, took it upon himself to personally take me to church. In his words, I am not just his son-in-law, I am his son. And he is not just my father-in-law, he's my dad. My dad who took me in, who mentored me, and who loved me as his own. The Lord gave an inexplicable hunger in my, me and my wife to study scripture. Through the pandemic, we just devoured the word of God. And through the many messages of CCF, we finally, finally came to embrace Jesus, not only as our Savior, but our Lord. The Lord gave a refreshed appreciation to me to value what truly matters most. I wasn't able to kiss my mother goodbye that morning when I was rushing out to work, and now I never, never leave home without kissing my wife and kids and without telling them that I love them. The Lord gave a perspective on time. I was not able to spend quality time with my father, but now I intentionally take every single opportunity and time to be able to spend it with my loved ones and to share the gospel and to serve the Lord. The Lord gave such a vantage point on forgiveness and peace. I regret it. I, I'm so, so sorry that I was not at peace with my brother and I hurt him before he died. But now I realize in the light of eternity, there really is just no room in our short life for anger and bitterness. That's why I strive, keyword is strive, to live out Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Lord gave a new lens on life. Before I thought everything that I had achieved was because of my work, my drive, my determination, my ambition, and what I did, and because I was good and I followed the rules, and now I realized that it was only, only because of His grace. My name is J.L. Ladiorai. Before I was alone, now I know I'm never alone because God is with me. And I am part of His everlasting family because the Lord gave me Jesus. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, JL. So let's, um, let's close this out. Um, five things we've learned from the life of Job. And as we wrap it up, uh, you want to help rebuild your family? We'd love to share some practical ways you can do that. Uh, there is a booth outside, and you heard this announcement earlier very quickly. There is Counterflow 2023. Coming up, go sign up. Tickets are available. Take a screenshot. Five, four, three, two, one. Respond well. Everybody say respond well. We looked at worshiping God as a response of Job, accepting adversity, reframing our hedge, being still, and then ultimately, this is the centerpiece, right? The turning point, seeing and repent. What happened to Job? What happened? How do we know he finished well? 
Job 42, 10 to 17. The Lord, can you read it with me? The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. All his brothers, sisters, and all who had known him before came to him. They ate bread with him in his house. They consoled and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him, just as Jael said, God gave. Look at this. God restored. Everybody say restored. God increased. Can you say increase? And God gave. Isn't that so beautiful? This is why even if it's so dark and difficult to see Job's life and none of us would want that, look at how God allowed him to finish. Restored, increased, gave him. I don't even need to go into the details here. But what I want to help us focus is this. He said, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And this is why I said, Lord, I think you want me to preach on Job. I'll be honest with you, I, I don't have experiences like JL, like my wife in my life by God's grace. I have my fair share of challenges, maybe not similar to Job, but as God was speaking to me, this is what I want for myself. I said, Lord, for all of us, may you bless the latter days of our life more than the former. Wouldn't that be great if that became part of our story? And to show you how sweet this season was. God is so intentional. So he had seven sons and three daughters. We do not know the name of any of his other past 10 kids. But for some reason, the Bible added the three names. Do you know why? Jemima means daylight. Keziah means sweet smelling. Keren Hapuch means the beautiful colors present in the things that women do to adorn their faces like their eyelids to show how this season had become such a wonderful delight to Job. Even after all that tragedy can everybody say God is good that's why I love that song the goodness of God he is such a good God even if he allows these things to happen challenge adversity in the life of Job which he did we saw that he said consider my servant Job and then the Satan did his thing look at what God did at the end he redeemed all of these things Job lived 140 more years on top of that, he saw his sons, grandsons, four generations. I love to see that son. I don't want to put pressure on you, but if God want to give you kids someday, I'd love to see those grandkids someday. That's what he did. And Job died an old man and full of days. Lisa, I want to close my preaching with you. I'm sorry you went a little bit long, but I want you to hear the heart of God because this message is about God's message to you and about Jesus. So I want to close with that, that name, that perspective. It says here, Job died an old man and full of days. You know what this word is in the Hebrew? Full of days is the word shalvaya. Can everybody say shalvaya? Shalvaya is in English being able to be so satisfied with your life in your good old age. How many of us would want to be so satisfied with our life in our good old age when God calls us home? And this is what he says. He says, Job finished well. I want you all to see it because of the way he responded. But ultimately, because of this man, Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says, you want to have a full life, Shalvaya. There is an enemy, the main enemy we have. His name is Satan, the devil, and he had a conversation with God. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy, which he did to Job. But Jesus says, I have come so that all of us here, every single one of us, Shalvaya, we would have a full life. We get it to Jesus. Not to Job, but to Jesus. So here's my challenge to all of us. As we wrap up in this message, what is our message again? It's a very simple one. 
in our life, whatever the circumstance, we need to respond well. Jesus' suffering gives suffering meaning. His suffering has allowed all of us to finish well. The question is, have you seen God and received Jesus in your life? If not, you cannot respond well. You cannot finish well. But if so, then we have that power in us. His Holy Spirit is there that we will respond well. So let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this evening to unpack your words and look at the life of your servant Job, your suffering servant Job, but who is really just a picture of the ultimate suffering servant, your son Jesus, and how you sent us on this earth for us. And he willingly received that, surrendered to your will, responding well so that we might all finish well. And so our prayer for all of us here is that whatever our circumstances, Lord Jesus, Lord God, help us to respond well. We've looked at some practical ways to do that through the different responses of Job. And they're not easy, but we know they're the right ones. And when we choose to do that, then we will see our lives turn and finish well here on this earth and lord if there might not be any answers and relief here then the good news is we can finish well because after this life then there is eternity with you that is the ultimate goal that we have now there are some people here lord god who have not been able to see you they've not been able to receive what your son jesus has offered for all of us by his suffering this abundant life that he promises to give us so if you're that person today i want to close with you our beloved friends and guests it's just for this moment to be able to say i need to respond well my life is not well and i need jesus i need to experience him in my life i want to have a relationship with him i want to see god personally through what jesus has done and so that if by doing so then It'll be well with me in my soul. I can experience all that. If that is you, you can make a prayer right now. Right now. Say this from your heart and mind to God. Dear God, thank you for what you have done by sending your son Jesus to suffer for me. I don't deserve it, but I receive it right now. And I am so grateful. And I am so repentant. I am so sorry for all the things I have done. All the sins, Lord, all of these things. I ask for your forgiveness right now. And as I come to you, Lord God, broken repentant I now receive what he has done with gratefulness and joy and I thank you that you offer this to me and as JL said today I choose not just to receive him as my savior for all that he has done but to make him my Lord I will follow you I will follow your son Jesus whatever he asks me to do God going by your power so that is my prayer today and as I receive this I now see you Today I start a relationship with you, God. And that means for me that I can experience the abundant life, a deeply satisfying life that even if I might still have trials and challenges, you will be there. And I can be assured that if I do not experience relief here, I will experience it in eternity with you forever. Salamat ulit, Panginoon Diyos. I thank you for this prayer. Bless us all as we go. Help us all not to just be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word, but doers to immediately apply what you want us to so that we might respond well. And my prayer for all of us, Lord Jesus, is you will say, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would finish well in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. 
We'd love to stay connected with you, so make sure to subscribe to our podcast or join an Elevate group through chatting with us. See you at our next podcast.